Before I read the gospel, let me thank you. I am honored to be part of this lecture series. I noticed a number of the people who have been here are friends of mine, but particularly Harry Gamble Jr. I remember him very clearly from our time together at Yale. And it's wonderful to be in Roanoke. Donna, thank you for your wonderful hospitality, John, the Robertsons, and of course, Mark, and that music, and the choir, and the trumpet, and the timpani, and you. <laughs> Attend to the words from the Gospel according to Luke. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. What are you discussing with each other while you walk along, he said to them. They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary for the Messiah who would suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered, and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel for us. What is it 
dear friends, about this story that moves us so when we hear it again. And it's familiar. It's familiar, unless you haven't been going to church except on the 4th of July and Christmas. You know this story. Of all the resurrection stories that we read during these 50 days of Easter, only Luke has this road to Emmaus story. And Luke loves to linger over the details. Couldn't you just feel it in Luke's telling of it today? The details catch me up every time. I don't know about you. And can you imagine in the first generation after the disciples were gone, the next generation, how the early church must have loved this story. The details make it so real, I think. Seven miles to Emmaus, 60 stadia, for those of you who are biblical scholars. Here are two followers of Jesus who may, indeed, they did hear the women's tales about an empty tomb, but they seem to have set out for the seven miles journey in disbelief. We can tell they were discouraged and more than a bit distracted. You know how this is. When you're discouraged or depressed or distracted, you can't see the details. Let's imagine that they were so full of distraction from their own disappointment, they did not see him. Oh, doesn't that remind you of another thing you've just heard in this season? Mary in the garden? Uh, Supposing him to be the gardener, she says. This is an interesting thing about these New Testament resurrection stories. Jesus is present, but we don't recognize. And so it is with these two. We had hoped, they said, that he would to be the Messiah. I'd love to preach a sermon just on that. We had hoped that he might be the Messiah. And some of these women told us that he had risen, and it didn't seem to dawn on them. Now, here we are, right here in Roanoke, right here in Calvary Baptist Church, knowing what those two disciples didn't know. See, we look on from the distance, but they are still walking in disappointment. It's startling how Jesus comes and walks with them, and he eventually admonishes them, you slow of heart? Now, wait a minute. Let's give these disciples a break. If you'd seen that death and been there, and you had hoped that there would have been a military coup You hoped that the powers, the Roman powers that dominated that little outpost would have been done away with, with a real Messiah. In a world where might makes right, this seems incredible. And if you've seen death, especially a tortured death like this, it's very hard to believe what a few women may tell you. Ah, But the women had it right. You know, it's almost as difficult for us today to believe that, say, a truly poor person could become governor or senator. That's supposed to be a lighthearted moment in this sermon. It's almost as difficult. It ain't going to happen as we use technical language. It ain't going to happen. 
this Messiah to suffer and die like this? We had hoped that he was to be the Messiah. But then comes the lingering and they persuade him. Thank God they persuade him. Stay with us. It's almost evening. That tender, tender persuasion. And he does stay with them. And then remembering they must have remembered all the meals they had with him. Don't you think? All the meals, it says all throughout the New Testament, he ate with all these people, his disciples, with sinners, with strangers. And can you imagine when he does the gestures at the meal, the Jewish blessing, he takes the bread and he praises God, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu, breaks the bread. Something about his voice, something about his gesture, something about that bread to be shared, and they recognize him. Well, word and music and meal have always been that characteristic way that Jesus walks with us. Jesus, I suspect, even in light of the music here, probably sang a song. And that, too, the sound of their voices singing. Doesn't it strike you that the whole story could well have been for that early church a piece of instruction? A pattern is here. Jesus comes into our midst when we are on journeys. He opens up the scripture, the prophets, the Torah, and he does that familiar act of speaking directly to us, blessing the bread and becoming for us a meal. That's Luke, the storyteller. Have you ever had it said, do you ever say to yourself, if I were only there, if I had walked the dusty roads of Galilee, if I had been there, I really, really would believe I'd know that it was all true. Oh, if we'd only been there to see and hear and touch. We go on pilgrimages to the Holy Land, and often we get the sense walking there where Jesus walked, Oh, this is real. But the risen Christ was, even after doubting Thomas put his hands in the side, says, blessed are those people who haven't seen me and who believe. Raymond Brown, the great New Testament scholar, says, in the matter of encountering Jesus through faith, the past generation is not in a more privileged position than we are. Every age is co-present to this marvel of God present in Christ. But it's more than an instructional story, and it's more than a lovely tale toward the end of the Gospel of Luke. Emmaus is where we head after pain. Emmaus is seven miles away from a pace of confusion. Emmaus is seven miles into disappointment, perhaps seven miles into disbelief, seven miles walking away from broken relationships or deeply conflicted life. Where are good people of Calvary? Where, I ask myself this Sunday, is my Emmaus? Where am I heading? Where do we go away from Jerusalem and all that happened there, from any place of hurt in our lives? And none can escape. Hear this astonishing news. Wherever you're headed away from difficulty, 
the risen Christ walks there, heads there with you. And as of old, he will open up what God has done. He will speak a prophetic vision of a world changed, words of hope. He will especially speak to us of how he loves. And he opens our eyes to see what has been hidden from us, from our not knowing. In a world of confusion and distraction, in a world that hurls images at us and saturates our life with sound, there is one pure, beautiful music that comes when he walks with us. There is one form of beauty that we finally begin to see. We see one another more clearly. We see the beauty of the world as our children were instructed this morning. We understand ourselves more clearly because he has chosen to walk with us. This one who still bears the marks of the world's death dealing will walk in risen life with us. And what then do our fired hearts come to know? And what do our Christ-opened eyes see? What is most real? The terror and the beauty. We see the living life of God poured out into this world despite all the evidences. We come to see, of course, those near to us, as if for the first time. We see the stranger, we see the sojourner, the suffering ones, the joyous ones. We come to see beauty and sorrow in our hearts, come to bear both ecstatic joy right alongside the anguish and our mortality. In short, our heart is open to life, and we see it more clearly. Oh, it will fade, and does because we're all still on the journeys to our Emmaus. But something has changed now, because we now look in the direction that Christ's love looks. We now are open to the beauty that God has always lavished upon us in music, in the voice of another, in memories deep, and refreshing and flourishing. To see the world as Christ sees it, to be in the world now heart ready for what God intends for humankind and indeed for the whole of creation. One person in my life who has been like this, opening my heart and eyes, is Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I had the privilege, can you believe this, of having my office next to him for two full years, Archbishop Tutu. Funny story. He comes down into campus at Emory University. Two women are walking this way. He's walking this way. They obviously recognize him somehow. They turn. He senses that they have turned. He takes off his Greek sailor's hat, bows to them and says, Yes, I am who you think I am. That's Archbishop Tutu. He tells the story of how, in the deepest apartheid oppressions, there was a liturgy in the cathedral where he presided. 
And in along the side aisles come the police, probably to hear some kind of subversive sermon that he was going to preach. Well, of course, the congregation was stiff and scared. But Archbishop Tutu says, Welcome all of you, even you who are bearing arms. We are so glad you're worshiping here today. And the liturgy went on, and the apartheid police were standing there. At the end of that liturgy, which is so characteristic of that cathedral and that music, they danced out to the last hymn. They danced right past the soldiers. They danced right past them. Can you imagine this? The dance at the heart of the world goes on, and they miss it. Except my guess is, one by one in their heart of hearts, they were changed. That's Archbishop Tutu. There's a witness. There's an open heart. There's open eyes. Oh, one more thing. When we get to Emmaus, and sometimes we do, We stop and think, ah, the journey is over. But don't you think for Cleopas and that other disciple and all of the disciples that there was something about that encounter in which they were beginning all over again? As someone said, perhaps a discouraged disciple would exclaim, oh no, here we go all over again. He's back and alive and with us. So on our way to Emmaus, we carry our burdens, seven miles or more. But there is one, I tell you, who walks with us, who knows about us, who knows our hearts, who knows what we don't see, and lavishes love despite us and despite our world's death-dealing. And that is what we need to know. And that's what our music sounds, even when we aren't aware. So blessed be God for the Alleluia's of Easter, for even an Alleluia will open our heart and cause our eyes and ears to see and hear that God is here. Amen.